You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. Hi, it's Ann Lee Parrish, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show, yeah. You are listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Ann Lee Parrish. She's the author of A Summer Morning, a novel. Ann, how are you? I am doing really well, Tony. I hope you are doing well, too. I'm doing well. Yeah. You know, I take, well, I, thanks for asking. Last night I took clown, my, I take clown classes. So last night was my first intermediate clown class and I'm kind of wiped out and sore. And that probably sounds a little too intimate. <laughs> that is really fascinating. That you yeah. that. I think that is wild. It is kind of wild. It's, it's, it's people always think, Oh, you're going to be Ronald McDonald. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's uh it's kind of like uh, doing improv acting classes where it's just, I hate watching improv. I'm like that guy that hates watching people go, give us a, give us an apple in a city, you know? I'm, oh, but I like doing the exercises because it makes me feel like a fool around fools and fools are amazing. And I think that's probably very empowering in a way. Don't you find? It really is. We had to... <laughs> Last night, I was like, I I haven't taken clown in about a year and a half. So I was like, whoa, I forgot how vulnerable this is. Last night, we had to, we had to, you, you, he makes you do, he puts you in groups of four and you have to, you have 10 minutes to come up with a dance routine, a song to sing, and then you have to do your solo. And then he tells, and we had two different um, subjects, what well, something we're proud about and something we're shameful about. And it was just like crazy because everyone was being so intimate and singing. And it's just like, I'm like, Oh my God, I love this so much. And this is so hard. Anyway, that's, that's my, do you dress up? Are you in clown garb? Um, no, actually for the full, for the first uh, quarter, it, there's none of that. It's all, it's all about hitting that vulnerability harder and harder and harder. And then um, now that I'm in clown two, we start to bring costumes in uh, this next, the next seven weeks. So. Oh, it sounds just fascinating. I think there's a short story in this. Yeah, I don't know. I um, I've been do I've been like I'll take uh, the improv classes on and off just so I got so I stay ahead on my writing. So I so I, I don't censor myself kind of thing because like improv is about losing that self censor. And so oh, that's, and, an in, that's an interesting overlap, how those two things would, would, would sort of come together and, and influence writing or the way you write. That's interesting. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, and not that it, you know, doesn't get me in trouble, <laughs> but at the same time, at the, at the same time, it's all about uh, the human condition and we're just all flawed. So just embrace, yeah. embracing, the embracing ridiculousness. Certainly. Yeah. Wait, what part of what part of the world are you in right now? I am coming to you today and every day from Olympia, Washington, which is the state capital of Washington State. I sound like I just got hired by the Chamber of Commerce, but I haven't. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you might get some kick. Evergreen State. Uh, that's yeah. about 75 miles south of Seattle, where uh, we lived for 35 years. And 
got sick of it because the city really, really changed during that time. Yeah. Uh, not always for the better. So our children had attended the Evergreen State College, which is here in Olympia. So we came to know the area. Um, it's really lovely. It's much more rural, a lot of forests, a lot of water. It's oh, really great. We're really happy. Here. Forest and water. I'm in Los Angeles and I'm just, you know, I need to see more forest and water. But we've had some, last winter was a great winter. And I'm thinking we're going to have a really good one this year too. It's just dumping rain. Yeah. Dump rain on us. Let's do it. You need it. Yeah. The, um, the it was so well so you've been a writer in Seattle. What's the writing scene like? What's it like being a writer in Seattle? For heaven's sake, you know, I really don't know because I'm one of these people that just doesn't get out among other people all that much. <laughs> I, I did I know stuff. that all too well. Go yeah, ahead. I, I am I'm really a recluse. I did some stuff a long time ago with the Richard Hugo House, which is kind of the, the major writing center on Capitol Hill in Seattle. I, I, I ran a volunteer forum, but this was a long time ago. You're talking 20 years. I don't know what their scene is now. Um, I heard they'd had a big kerfuffle about um, a, a new director that was that was chosen and people objected to him because they didn't want to put a white man in that position. They wanted someone from a, a, a different background. So I, I, I think the board, uh, there was a lot of infighting, at least that's what I heard. Um, but, but I still say Hugo House does a good job in terms of their classes. Um, otherwise I don't really know what's going on up there. Um, there are a lot of writers in Seattle. There are yeah. Um, yeah. a lot of great bookstores too. So yeah. it's, it's a fertile environment. You know, if you, if you see your way clear to all that. Yeah. It's, it's keeping the head low. Cause I got to do that in Los Angeles. There's a lot of things I got, you know, there's a lot of things I got to go to or whatever. And I'm like, most of the time, like I'm the guy that does not want to go out. <laughs> and then I'm like, and then I go out and see everyone. I'm like, oh, that was so sweet and nice. Why do I always not want to go out? And then all of a sudden I leave and amnesia comes back, and then it's the next thing, and I don't want to go. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah and then it's always so amazing and nice. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's a writer thing though. And I know a lot of my writer friends are just like, it's it's just that, oh, really? And then you just get there and it's like, oh wait. We're all we're all kind of weird. Oh my forgot we're all weird. We're all okay. really weird. Yeah. yeah. We are. We are. So do you teach classes too? Do you taught you taught them? I don't anymore. I yeah. do a lot of mentoring. Well, a lot of some uh informally online via email yeah. on the phone, that kind of thing. Through the um AWP Associated Writing Programs, they cool. have a mentor to mentor program um so i've done that for a couple of years in a row and then i just i sort of have a network of people i've come to know over the decades who say hey i've got a new story would you be willing to take a look at it and yeah I'm, I, and i'll do that so that's sort of the extent of my interaction but it's very rewarding it is yeah it's sometimes it's sometimes it's a total pain but I got to keep re it's it's almost like like for me because I volunteer at the library too once a month I'll do a creative writing class and anybody can show up and it's one of my favorite classes to teach because it's just like I don't know what's gonna happen and um and, and most of the time it's just it's like a little nerve wracking and then it's just it turns into this beautiful thing uh, at the end where everyone's just like whoa we got there it's like we all. We all get through it together and then, then it's done and nobody wants to leave. And it's just like, whew. yeah, I mean, that those kinds of things work really well 
unless there's that one person who's got an attitude and they don't yeah. want to be told anything and they just came because they want to share how brilliant they are and oh my goodness it's so tiresome when that happens and you just kind of finesse your way away from that person and yes. focus <laughs> there's always one isn't there always there's always one yeah and why doesn't the person that is the one realize that there's what, first off, there's always one. And second, if they don't see the one, it's them. Yeah. That'd be nice. Well, they're be like, nice. why isn't there one in this class? You're like, dude, it's you. <laughs> oh, yes. The ta the tales and woes of uh, teaching and also trying to navigate personalities. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's a thing. But yeah, it's. Finesse is such a great word for it. It's kind of a, uh, you know, <laughs> I think yeah. I try to, I try to be finesseful and I believe I just created that word. Finesseable. Yeah. I think that's the new one. Yeah. I'm in. Wait, wait, when did you start writing? Uh, in earnest, uh, doing it seriously. And this is my career and this is what I'm going to do. 1985. Oh, Almost wow. 40 years. I know. I know. Wow. A really long time ago. Did it you, was a different world then. Uh, yeah, I was in high school. Did but you not um the writing part? The writing part is sort of always the same, but but the market for short stories, which is what I was doing for a very long time, and still do, but I, I was doing only short stories. It was a different world. There was no such thing as, as you must recall, uh, no such thing as electronic submissions. Everything oh. went in an envelope. Yeah. Yeah. And the amount of money, like even when I had my first novel that I was sending out and it was just like, and certain big, certain big time agents were like, we're interested. And I'm like, oh my God next day air and i'm like here's 70 dollars to get into this person's hand who just said they're interested <laughs> by <No>. thursday <laughs> yeah no no it was it was a different world and it was slower and it, and i would and i think we all did collect our little rejection slips yes. and if you got one that had a little handwritten note on yes. it that was a rank up and then if someone signed his or her name that was amazing and yes kind of stuff yeah yeah and the, and the lovely ones of this doesn't work for us but we love to see more of your work and it's just yes. like uh, you're going okay this is what i used to do and i'm like i need i need to read their magazine more because i didn't get exactly what i sent them so i need to i need to find what else i have in the files that is exactly, more towards them exactly and for me I tried, to, you know, to 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 figure out what their aesthetic is and match it exactly, and I found I just never could. And I and then, you know, places places would I would send a story and I had no idea who would accept it. Somebody would accept it, and I think, oh, that's wonderful, but why? So I stopped trying to figure out why and just and just sent my stuff out and hoped. yeah. You know, it's it, the, I've, I'm from San Francisco and I've lived in L.A. for uh, about 10 years and kind of been a little bit around film and TV stuff, you know, and I've and, and that's even taught me more about writing and decision making and like the idea, because a lot of the times casting has a certain there. They have a certain type they're looking for, but at the same time, they'll throw a few like wild cards out there and it it's kind of mind blowing where they go, where it's just like someone that they didn't think they're like, ah, maybe. And the person walks in and they're like, they just brought something to that character that we didn't even think of. And that person gets the gig because 
no, it's nobody thought of it. So it's kind of, so I, I think about editors going, you know, that they, they may, they may not normally take what, uh, what they're sent, but there can be a connection of, oh, this makes so much sense with our publisher, uh, in this weird angle that none of us see, you know, it's almost magical. It's going to take a chance or they're, they are open to being inspired and informed in a way that they haven't, they don't have a preconceived notion for. And that's, that's important in art. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, that's that little, um, those little magic moments when, when two, when energies come together, you know, and it's just like, Oh, of course. Of course that works. And you're just sitting there going, I never thought that would work, but of course it works. It makes sense. Most of the time it's rejection, rejection, rejection. And we need to do that though. Cause a lot of rejection brings us up to learn. Yeah. Cause you always have to get better. You have to be improving the craft. Yeah. That's the whole thing. Yeah. It's, I, I I've learned this kind of the hard way the past five years or so it's, because I, I used to think the outcome was the, the outcome, the outcome, the published thing, the thing, the filmed thing, and, you know, the, the final product. And it's just, and I finally went, oh, no, it's the process. Even if the, the outcome is, is important than the right. product. Yeah. I mean, they're both important. Let's not kid ourselves. They're both important. Right. Where, where do we live as artists? Where it, we live in the process. You know, the, the producers live in the product. We live in the process. So we have to focus on that. Yeah. And even if everyone's given us big accolades, but well, for me, I know I'm like, this is awesome. I try to take it in. It's even though it's hard to, you know, bring in joy sometimes. And then, but I know the next morning I'm working on my next project that no one even knows about yet. Yeah, and yeah. and that's the thing that I care about. And it's just like, and this nice thing, you people are kind of new. It's kind of new to you people. Did you have a um a release party? No, why not? I didn't do anything. You know, this what? is my thirteenth book, and I don't mean I I don't cite that number as a way to suggest I've gotten jaded and I'm tired of it. But I'm no, I didn't have a release. But I'm very happy that it came out. I probably bought myself a beautiful bouquet of flowers. My publicist sent me a very nice bouquet. Yeah, you know, I'm always delighted. But no, I didn't. You know, I didn't get anybody else over here we, we're kind as i say we're re, we live very reclusively no bookstore events either no no oh wow oh okay yeah, I, I used to i used to try yeah. to do that but i'm kind of like well, this is the thing when you get old when you sign up for medicare you're like me <laughs> you're not that old yes Are i am <laughs> really oh i'm 65 <laughs> no way oh i would have never guessed well thank you i appreciate oh, that. now now we got to talk about that what are you taking and how do you look so young how do how it's does someone genes, like it's all jeans it's all jeans oh no, yeah my parents looked good right up until the end and they didn't look so great there is so you have you have a late cutoff yeah sometimes like sometimes like you know when you see friends you haven't seen for a while and you're like oh my god like they look like they've aged like 15 years like, and two years think, oh man i hope i haven't looked i don't look bad right too. right and i'm sure people have done that to me they're like oh tony <laughs> you're like kind of let yourself go there uh, you know who knows but um but yeah it's so what's so what was your parents cut off? What was like what was the age where they were they kind of just like did that turn and you're like, oh wait, they're old. You know, my mother never really got there. Um, she because she uh -huh. she died rather suddenly, but my dad, uh -huh. 
he did really well. He was in his mid eighties and then he kind of puttered out a little bit, wow. but he went a long time after that too. So, you know, he, he was slow, <laughs> a long decline. Oh my God. So I, I, I journal my dreams every morning, you know, and I forgot to journal this one. And it just, I, I just got reminded of it in the dream. I walked by George Burns smoking a cigar and I'm like, God, that guy just still looks great. So he was still alive in my dream, but he was, he was a hundred in my dream and he was alive. And I'm just like, good for him. It's yeah, just like, exactly. do you ever have your dreams flash to you later in the day when someone oh, absolutely. Like- and, and I find it, am I, is it a memory or is it a dream? Cause that yeah. overlap is very fuzzy sometimes. And that's an interesting place too. Right. Right. Especially after sex dreams. Cause then I'm sitting there going, wait a second. I don't think she knows we had sex. That was in my dream. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. What, do you ever what do you what do you take from dreams like when you're working on um something that's uh maybe maybe you don't have an answer to a character or where a character goes next sometimes at night do you like put the question out there where do you go next and just well, kind of... okay so so dreams and writing I, I tend not to to build plots around my dreams personally but I love it when my characters have a dream and they don't understand what it means. And maybe later they, they come to conclude because of course that's terribly Freudian and very psychiatric and you know, what, what are they imputing and what are they inferring and all of that good stuff. Uh, but I think dreams are, are very interesting, make very interesting topics in fiction. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you say that. Cause I just, I just sent a novel that's just based in dreams completely to my agent, but I haven't heard back from her yet. <laughs> What's that? I said, I hope that works yeah. out. Yeah, I know it's going to work out. I just don't know how it's going to work out. You know, you know, you know that, you know, that thing where you're just like, oh, wait, this, this is, it's, it's like, I've had other things where I'm like, oh, this book's not a thing. And I just toss it. And then, but this one I've worked on for a couple of years. I'm like, oh, wait, this is a thing. It's just, it, and the last time I thought that the thing was a thing, yeah. it was a thing and it did a thing. <laughs> so I'm just like, oh, this is, I just don't know story yet of how it gets there so yeah i know i i'll yeah are you are you writing a are you how, how do you switch between novels and short stories well and then there's a third thing that i juggle which is poetry so i've mm-hmm. got these three forms that i'm i just you know i, I i'm very good at, at compartmentalizing i get up in the morning usually i'm working on poetry for a little while then I'll suspend that and I'll work on a novel for a while. Then I'll put that away and then I'll get back to short stories. So it's all, you know, what books are in the pipeline? Where am I in that process? Am I reviewing a galley? Am I getting a manuscript ready to deliver to my publisher? You know, what? where are we in the whole schedule type of thing? And I really like jumping back and forth because if I, if something feels stale, if I get kind of tired of it or I get stuck, I think, well, I'm going to go back and, and work on this poetry manuscript for a while. So I always have a place to go. It's, I like it's that. Really. It's what? It's great. I love doing it that way. Yeah, no, I like the idea of juggling. I, I, I find like for, I think my, I think my project kind of, um, I've just realized, you know, that that, uh, the process kind of has its own way with each project where the project just kind of goes, hey, this is how you have to take care of me. And so and I so sometimes I'm stuck even like 
even when I hate it and I disgusted with my characters, I got to wake up and work with them for another four hours. And it, for me, I, I don't know why, maybe I just like self-torture. <laughs> as long as it gets done, you know? Yeah, exactly. And then, and then it was final draft where you got to put it in the drawer for a while. That's when I start working with my mistress on the side. I don't tell the, I don't tell the novel I'm working on something else. And then I start to I start to get playful again, and then that playfulness comes back to the rewrite. Yeah, yeah. it's always good to get to get away, and and to change your focus, and then yeah. to to then you can revisit the aesthetic and revisit you know what what was the paradigm that was in play when I was really working hard on this thing, and it freshens you to put it away. I think. Yeah, and then and then sometimes well, on this one I'm like. You know, it went, it's now that I've I started it over two years ago, and I'm just like, I'm such a different person than when I started that. Like, one, I'm not only a different person; I'm a different writer. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. You know, we we are traveling. These books travel through us. We travel through the books. You know, and we're not in the same place. And that's hard. When for me, going back and saying, well, I would never, I would never say it this way now. I would never look at it this way now. And I think to myself, okay, that doesn't matter. Be practical, be workmanlike. This was a snapshot of where you yeah. are then. And that's that's okay. It, you're building a body of work over the course of your life. And this is one piece of that. Yeah, exactly. It's so, yeah, it's so strange. It's all it's, I, 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 I don't know why I've become so introspective on it kind of in recently, but just the way that, we create and the and the, what we have to do and then you're right the the word snapshot is such a great word because it's just like we got to stay true to the voice but the voice is kind of a two years ago us or a one year ago us and we got to stay true and then get it out of there and then gets then 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 the, the new voice is fresh this is important it took me a long time to learn this lesson that just because you wouldn't write the book that way again doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with the way you did it. You're just in a different place, you know. You're just in a different place, and you, and that's okay to be in that because we're 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 changing all the time. Yes, I it it, it I used to think this before I had any uh, before I went hard on writing and and what when I went hard on writing my my date was uh, in 1999 and uh, and that's when I was just like oh crap. I, I, I'm in <laughs> like totally in and this is a very bad life decision <laughs> it's, like, it's it's a hard it's a hard life yeah you, you know? know that you know that white picket fence it's probably it might work out and I'm still open to it but you know <laughs> there's more chance now but yeah. um but I always used to think that authors read their own books oh my god here's you know it not not to for corrections but Two years later, just open a book and go, oh, I'm going to read my own book. And now it's like, I can't even fathom. It's hard to do that. It's very nerve wracking. Yeah, it's yeah. hard to do that. And I tend not to be. Oh, man, I it's it's so hard not to do it. I'm scared to go into edit processes with an editor on this thing. I'm like going, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Up to the point that, you know, you're signing off on it and it's going to go do the print run. Yeah. Th then there's all the nerves. But after that, I tend to just walk away. It's done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then I just want to collect my man Booker prize and my Pulitzer. 
Yeah, me too. <laughs> do you do you do you have that delusion like I do? And it's just like this is going to be the one that gets the prize. Okay. Well, a couple of things about that. Yes, I'm always you know I, I'm human. I have an ego. I always want my work validated because I publish with a small press. Small presses are not well represented in the national prizes. I don't think I stand a snowball's chance in hell, if you'll pardon my French. I, French, I don't publish with a big publisher. So nobody's, you know, the, the national prizes are not, I mean, my publisher can submit my book to these prizes, but I'm pretty certain that uh, they're not interested in reading something from a small press based in Portland, Oregon, which is too bad because I think I think she's she is bringing up amazing stuff, not just me, but other really, really good writers. You know, the big five publishers have not cornered the market on genius and and art, but that's just yeah. the way the world is. That's the way the world is. And, and I deal with that. And I love the small presses because it gets I don't want to be filled you know I do I do love a lot of books that come out of the big five but I also love the small presses where I can find it's just like oh wait I connected to this book more than I connected to you know I connected to this book that maybe sold 2,000 copies more than I connected to a book that sold 200,000 copies yeah I'm sad yeah well said oh thanks <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. And um, did you go to college for writing, or is that is is that nineteen eighty five? What what was? It? No, do you I remember what? Ex- yeah, I no writing. I didn't do any academic training in writing at all. Yeah, and so so what so what was your um what was your journey to um writing and getting to where you're where you were like oh wait I'm a writer. Yeah, well, okay. Um, I wanted to write when I was a child and I segued into other things and pursued other things, did not have anything to do, as I just mentioned, uh, with writing academically in college or graduate school. Um, I was 27 and I, at this particular point in 1985, and I just, I, I, I wanted more and more and more to see if I could be a fiction writer. So mm-hmm. I decided I was going to try to become the best writer I could be. And that's what I've been doing since then. And it's not been easy. It's not easy. But I don't know that I'm suited for anything else. I don't know that I could get along with people and work in an office. You know, my husband's an attorney. He's very, very good, very successful. He's got a real knack with people. I would be so tempted just to say to people, shut up. You know, I don't want to hear you right now. And you can't do that when you're in that situation. Um, Well, you can see what happens. You can do anything, you know, if you really think it, about it. It comes out poorly. Um, so, yeah, and that's what I've been doing. And I just said, you know, I'm a writer now. Yeah. So. What'd you go to school for? Economics. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I've only recently in the last few years have I really kind of started – I even subscribe to the Economist now, and I'm like, I'm trying to They're like a little conservative for my taste, but yeah, it's a good yeah. publication. Yeah, well, they got some good stuff. It's nice to see a perspective outside of the United States, which is yes, just exactly. It's just like oh, great, and their headlines are cheeky, and I, I let their headlines just crack me up. It's worth it for the headlines and the obituaries. They they do a great they do a full page obit in the end it, on the last page, and it's just. Yeah, it's my new um it's my new darling. They do really good. I've gotten a lot of good books 
um, from their book review section too. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, but it's also interesting just to see how econ like global economy is uh, uh, affects so much, and then also just what economy is and what what is money and what is what is value. It they yeah, I it all I kind of wish I had to talk about it. You know how, how do different political factions talk about it and uh, and how they use buzzwords to de- you know I think to deceive people and yeah and there's a lot of that so, in a huge I way you, I beg your pardon in a huge way I, where yeah. I'm just like going oh wow it's like people I thought I used to agree with I'm like oh they kind of they're being deceitful that's not cool no <laughs> you know? it's, but it, I I yeah it, it's I guess. Uh, there's something in San Francisco. I don't know if you used to have this in uh, Seattle. And I found out in other cities, it's not polite. And I think even now in San Francisco, it's not polite. But like in the 90s and stuff, we'd be like, uh, we'd see someone's place or they'd be, oh, you have a two bedroom. How much do you pay for rent? Immediately. Oh, yeah, I know. It, because no, we would ask. I would always ask because I'm curious about these things. And I would get my share of, you know, frustrated looks. And oh, that's just not what you ask. And, okay, fine. Don't answer me then. Yeah. But San Francisco, everyone immediately was like, in my circles, was like, "Oh, I pay this, this, and this," because we're all trying to see if we're if if, there, if there's better deals, or you know, it's, it's almost like we're trying we're trying to keep score. Yeah, we're trying to keep a status quo happening. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's human nature too. Yeah, or or like uh. This happened a little while ago. I remember Beth Lissick, uh, or Beth Lissick, uh, I don't know if you know that author. She's she's a great author. Um, she she posted, uh, or she, I think she did an article on all her advances of her books over the years. And it's just like, my favorite books by her maybe got a $200 advance, but she's also gotten six-figure advances. So who is the author again? Beth Lissick. Mm, don't know yeah. her. Yeah, she she used uh she lives in the East Coast now, but she was a San Franciscan for many years. I like Rebecca Solnit. She's in San Francisco. Oh, is she? Yeah. yeah sounds familiar. Yeah, she's an essayist. Okay. Yeah, cool. she's interesting. Well, what writers when you in the eighties? What what writers were were you reading? Where you're just like, oh well, man, probably need- nobody who was well. I mean, Anne Beatty was big in the eighties, but I didn't really like her. I I don't like her style. She I find her dull. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved Raymond Carter. I loved Raymond Carver. Um, I think he's great. Boy, I, I was reading a lot of people who had published earlier, you know, like Eudora Wealthy and Flannery O'Connor and, and and God help me, Virginia Woolf, who hadn't been around for a long time. She was way gone by the 80s. So, yeah. What kind, What classics do you like? What classics do I like? Well, I like the 20th century. I love Faulkner. I love oh. uh, Fitzgerald. Wolf, you know, the Bloomsbury group, the, the, the Lost Generation, I find very compelling. Uh, currently, I love a lot of British writers, you know, Tessa Hadley. Well, Alice Monroe is Canadian and she's hung up her pen. An Irish a gentleman, William Trevor, he died. I think he was amazing. Huh. Uh, I, I, I do like the English and, and the Irish writers a lot. I, re- they I read their you language very well. They're not afraid to use their language well. Yeah. And they use the S's instead of Z's. Makes me feel international. Yes, there you go. <laughs> I read Ulysses for the first time a year ago. I'm not, I'm not brave enough to take that on. 
I tried to take it on here and there in my life and went, what the hell is this? And tossed it across the room. And then last year was the hundredth anniversary of the publication. So I was like, and there was a, there was a course um, in the library of Ireland that if you paid like 15 pounds for it, you could do it online. And, and there was a guy that kind of gave a lecture and just said, he, it was a 20 minute intro of like, look, here's, here's the next three episodes. You're going to be confused by this. This is where this is at. And this is where that. So there was kind of a little bit of guidance. And as I got to the middle, as I, I started to realize that this is something, this is like really something. And when I got to the end, I was crying. Mm-hmm. I, I was just like, wow, I got to read it again. Yeah. But the, one of the reasons I took it on was because I, <clears throat> I interviewed a guy years ago who had a James Joyce tattoo on one arm and a Ulysses, uh, uh, the, the Ulysses blue cover on his other arm. And I'm like, if he's dedicated his body to scarification and ink for this, I could dedicate four months of there my life go. to reading. No, it. I think Joyce is wonderful. Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man. Oh, great. Yeah, I still need to read that. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful language. Again, using the language. Yeah, and I, I like Joseph Campbell. I just got some books on the, from the library because he, he, he like rips. He has all these lectures on Ulysses and Finnegan's Wake, and I'm just going, you know. And I, I get the Joseph Campbell. Uh, what do you call it? The YouTube rabbit hole when I want to watch watch the hero with a thousand faces and hero's journey and his interviews with Bill Moyer. And you're just he's just it, it, the myth. So much fun. That's interesting. Yeah. It's good fun, right? And well, that plus I teach screenwriting, so we got that come. The hero's journey is coming up every single week for me because I'm screenwriting is such a you know. Here's this. Here's that. Here's this. Things have to. It's so different than novel writing. Oh, completely, completely. Right. Yeah, I think it would be very hard to do that. Yeah, it's I I I prefer the novel, but man, what you, yeah. <laughs> Well, this last book I started as a screenplay and then I was like writing it and I'm like, oh man, I think this is a novel. And people around me are going, no, no, it's a great idea. It's so, it's so blank. You know, it's just like, no, no, like get it in now as a film. And I'm like, it's telling me it's a novel. And so you can't, I've learned if you're, if your work is telling you what it is, you have to, you have to listen. Yeah. How do you feel about silence? <laughs> How do I feel? I feel good. Awkward silence is all right, huh? Oh yeah, totally. I just yeah. pause, you know, I'm good. I used to I'm do college ra- <laughs> I used to do college radio. And they'd, I'd get they used to call it dead air. And it's just like if you had dead air, that was it. That was it's, a, it, it, it's not a pregnant pause, it's just a, a breather. Yeah, exactly. And it's and I think there's so much beauty in um in that where it used to be ingrained in me, where it's just like, if there was, you know, 10 seconds of dead air, the station manager would call and be like, what are you doing? You know? And it's just, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're trying oh, to sound. That's cool. funny. That's yeah. funny. Yeah. That's, that's the only classes I took was college radio. I was, I thought I was going to be a big time DJ. So uh-huh. yeah, that doesn't lead anywhere. No, no, you know, we all have different paths and, and the paths change. Yeah. 
but I'm still friends with almost everyone at the radio station I was at in the nineties. And oh, that's great. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of been a close knit group. And as we've gotten to know each other, as we've gotten older, we realize how much of a mess we are. We were in that little time and how much we needed KFJC, which was the name of the radio station, how much we needed that. And we needed each other, even though we were all kind of clashing personalities, you know? Mm. Yeah. It's interesting. You were a little group. Yeah. And I was, I was even thinking about it. It's almost like we were the influencers of that era. You know, there's, it's just like college radio. I looked at like when I, before I even knew I could take college radio classes, I looked up to college radio and I listened, I listened like it was my Bible. Well, it used to be, it used to be that college radio stations broadcast the most interesting music and that's yeah. where you would get the really good stuff. So yeah. Yeah. No, it's I mean, cool. You didn't hear Sonic Youth until, you know, 92 or 93 on commercial radio. We, and it's, I, we'd been hearing it since the eighties, you know, it's, and then all of us, it's it's just so strange how um, everything shifted, but it's just so, uh, yeah. And I used to win tickets all the time before I started. I was like, I had it on speed dial. (laughs) God, you remember speed dial? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then I, I, and then they had those phones that, um, cause they had touchstone phones, they had rotary phones, and then they had these terrible phones that were like you touch tone, but it still did the, and, and I can never win tickets with that. It drove me crazy. <laughs> yeah. Technology is amazing. It's just the things that have changed. Yeah. Just the idea of having a phone. I would just, we have a computer in our pockets. I know that's more that's more complicated than that what NASA used to 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 send the Apollo missions to the moon. That's yeah. what's amazing to me. Yeah, and I remember because I, I I couldn't. Uh, well, I was in a strict religious household, so I kind of couldn't like even date anyone as a kid or even like anyone. But I would skateboard to a I would skateboard to a phone booth that was kind of hidden, so no one from the church can see me as I I was I would call. And put the quarters in to talk to a girl that I liked. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. There's a plot right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was my first book. <laughs> oh, I thought. Life I, informs you, us. What's that? Life informs us. Yeah, exactly. I was, I was talking to my therapist and I was just like, you know, because I was talking about other stuff that's happened in my life. And I'm like, maybe, maybe I needed that to do this, this and this. And then I corrected myself and I'm like, no, I didn't need it. I'm using, I'm using the stuff that happened. It was already there and you're making. You're, right. It's yeah, not that I need. Lemonade out of lemons is what you're doing. Right. Right. And like some stuff you just kind of don't need or want in your life. Or no even with, yeah. A lot of stuff like that. Did you grow up in Seattle too? No, no. I grew up in upstate New York. Really? Until I was 14. Yeah. And a lot of my fiction is set there. Uh, My my most recent novel, Summer Morning, is set there. I can't seem to to stop setting my stuff there. But, you know, it was obviously it was very influential, very formative for me as as a source of fiction. Uh, And after that, I moved to with my mother. My parents divorced moved to Princeton, New Jersey for four mm-hmm. years. I attended high school there. Mm. 
And that's where I met my future husband. And we moved west. We went to Colorado for six years, went to college there. And then we came to Seattle, Washington for graduate school in 1982. So we've kind of come all, I mean, he was not in upstate New York. He was already in New Jersey, but we've traded the East Coast for the West Coast. And I'm much happier out here. Yeah, in upstate New York, I, I haven't really, I mean, as far as I've gone is like Troy and Sleepy Hollow, but it's just so gorgeous in those places. It, the next, it's stunning. It yeah. Is, but southwestern like, Washington, beautiful. You know, yeah. the Cascade Mountains, you know, but you know, it's a, it's a, it's that very you know, sort of northern Appalachian beauty with the rounded hills. Yeah, it's lovely. Yeah, it, it, it kind of, because it's, it's so foreign to me. I'm kind of like, whoa, this, you know. I'm just Californian, Californian, and then I get thrown into something else, and I'm like, yeah, but it's oh good. To, it's good to be in a part, of, and it, it's so lush back there. It's so mm -hmm. green. They don't have droughts back there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, and then you come and and for some, it's the last time I got back from uh, New York. When you fly back, you know, it takes longer to fly back. Um, coming that going out west, and it, and it's just like. I'm from San Francisco, so flying into San Francisco used to feel like home. It's just like, oh God, here's the bay, yes, you know. And he's like, there's the, and you're looking at the, you're counting the bridges, and when you see the San Mateo Bridge, and you're like, oh my God, it is less than five minutes, and it's, and now, yeah, now I'm like, I'm going, now I'm like going, I'm counting freeways as I come in, <laughs> and I'm like, and there's the 405. I don't even say the now. I never used to say yeah, that. Yeah, I know, I, I know. No, LA is a whole other kettle of fish. LA is huge. Yeah. And then it's just that that beautiful moment where it's just like you see all the traffic and you're like, home, even though traffic sucks. <laughs> yeah, but it's home. Yeah. Feet on the ground. Yeah. Are you exactly. are you okay with flying? How do you fly? Yeah, I'm okay. I used not to be okay, but I'm okay mm. now. What what yeah, did you like what that. did you do to make it okay when it between not okay, okay so and okay? Is, it's just kind of a sad story. I used to be afraid to fly all the mm. time. Yeah, I don't know why. I never had a bad experience in an airplane. I generally just a very anxious person. Still am to a certain extent. Um, yeah. Um. We visit. We had gone back. My my husband and I and our two young children at that time, uh, Christmas in nineteen ninety six, to visit everybody in Princeton, New Jersey, traveling with a two-year-old and a five-year-old. They were both sick. Okay, so we flew back, had our Christmas visit. It, it, you know, and, and it, we didn't get a direct flight. We had to change it, oh, in Detroit yeah. or something from Seattle to Newark. Came back. Um, six days after that, my mother-in-law died suddenly. We had not expected. She'd been ill, but we didn't think she was that ill. Yeah. She died. So then we had to make arrangements to go all the way back and deal with that. So we packed up the kids again, got back on the plane, went out and did all of that. It was stressful six days back there dealing with her, this the service, her house, her possessions. Got everybody back on the plane. And we flew to Detroit. I was nervous. All this time I was, you know, really jazzed, really scared, landed in Detroit, getting ready to, or no, excuse me, Minneapolis, getting ready, for, it was January. It was seven degrees outside. And I looked out the window and I saw this guy in a really heavy coat, he's de-icing the wings. And I got all anxious because there's ice on the wings. And I thought, oh no. 
you know, this thing isn't going to get aloft. We're going to go down in a fireball. And something just clicked in me. And I said, you know what? So what? I've had it. I'm tired. If this plane is going to go down, we're all going to go down with it. And I can't do a damn thing about it. And I stopped being afraid. That it, it actually, that was the day of my 39th birthday. And I stopped being afraid to fly. Wow. Screw it. Screw it. I what don't a- like turbulence. I yeah. don't like turbulence, but I don't panic anymore. Not at all. Yeah. Wow. I like that. See, I couldn't fly for many years. Oh, I had a, I had severe agoraphobia where I committed myself into the hospital because it got so bad. You couldn't go outside. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, and I, I knew I couldn't like, I just, I was getting suicidal ideations. It was so bad. I was just like, yeah, and it, that can happen. Yeah. And, um, but th- then, uh, you know, I'm still not happy on a plane. But but it's there's a joy to uh, going. You know what? This really. I I even had a. I almost <laughs> before right before COVID, I the plane door is shut. So I was heading to New York, and I went. I need to get off this plane. Like this is it. I'm gonna like. I'm losing it, and I I just I knew I was gonna die, and I was getting my stuff together to go. You gotta let me off this plane. As I'm starting to like you know, push it back. I'm, I'm like, this is it. And then I had, a, I was like trying to breathe and lived, listen to my hypnosis tapes. And I had a moment of clarity in it. And my moment of clarity was I was feeling so bad and felt like I was losing my mind, but my, I, I had a moment of seeing myself on the other side of the door when they let me off the plane and how that I would still have the same feeling. It would just be a little worse. So then I was just like, well, I got to sit here with this feeling because even though it feels like the worst thing on earth, if I have them put me on the other side of those doors, and I don't make it to New York. That will feel that will just bring it another notch to even more worse. And this worse is OK. So just I just wait, you know, yeah. in the middle of a panic attack. It's it's hard, but we learn to wait. Yeah. And let it pass on its own. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I, I think, um, you know, when I relate my anxiety and panic to other creatives, I, I think it's a very, it's a lot of nods of like, yeah, we know. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. It's, it's, it, and it can be very crippling. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm a big believer in learning to refocus, learning to breathe, learning to refocus. Yeah. Compartmentalizing. Mm-hmm. You, you, it's compi- yeah, it, and you know, I like the idea because you said something great that I that I try to uh, think too. Because you're like, if we're gonna die, we're all gonna die, and it's almost <laughs> like we're a community. We're a community in the sky. It's like uh, we, whatever plane we're on, it's just like okay, here's here, these 150 people are the people I might die with. Like exactly. it's, it's we're all on the same page, and it's yeah. just like. You know, good to see you. Oh, the stupid leaning the, your chair back, you know, or the, the one yeah, of the and worst. <laughs> and I tell myself, they don't look afraid. The flight attendant doesn't look afraid. You know, she does this. Yeah. Every yeah. She, this is how she makes her money. She's you not look afraid. At, if you look in a flight attendant's eyes and they're scared, that's when you start writing yeah, your okay. will. <laughs> you bet. Yeah. yeah. But I, luckily, I've not seen that. So, <laughs> yeah, I haven't either. Even in the heavy turbulence, it's just, yeah, it was like the last flight I had back from New York was I actually slept for an hour and I have not slept on a plane since the 90s. And yeah, I was like, it's not easy to do. 
yeah it blew my mind i was like i woke up and i'm all and seinfeld was playing because now we have now we have those screens remember back in the day when it was the smoking section and you would get Mm -hmm. stuck back there because it was the last seat on the flight and there was one little screen a mile and a half away that showed a terrible film (laughs) (laughs) oh those were the days uh no I like, I like flying without a lot of cigarette smoke in the air. Yeah. When they took that away, though, like it's, um, I think about it now, people who smoke and then they don't smoke, they get agitated. It's hard if you're on a six-hour flight, you know? Right. And you're just like, I don't want people agitated on this plane. <laughs> yeah. Get out your Nicorette, pal. Exactly. Where's your patch? Yeah. Got an extra one because I'm having a hard time in this flight and I don't even smoke. Okay, there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, Anne, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, it was great fun. listening to 101.9 FM KPCR LP 
Santa Cruz. Thank you.
Thank you. 